0: Well, we've probably all heard the saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that's not the worst rule of thumb you could have in life, especially maybe when it comes to something like a door-to-door salesman, right? Now, a lot of them, they're just... Uh, Doing honest work, trying to earn a living and and selling you something. But if you find somebody comes to your door and you find yourself thinking, oh my goodness, it's my lucky day. How can these things be? You might want to slow down a little bit. I remember one particular day somebody came to my door and they were trying to sell meat. And I was particularly low-hanging fruit for this person because I had just bought a new grill, right? And I am thinking... This is my lucky day. This is a sign. This is amazing. And they're offering all of this meat at an unbelievable price. And as I'm thinking about all this, I see the facial expression on my wife. And I realize, oh, yeah. And so I say, okay, well, th- let me think about it. That's, my, that's one of my favorite. When somebody's being a little too pushy selling something, that's one of my favorite. Let me think about it. And you, can you give me your card? And so they give me the card, and they're off. And so then we talk more about it, and I go to the website listed on the card. There, there's nothing there. I, I Google the name of the company, and all the things I see are, oh, scam, 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 right? A good reminder that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And we probably all have some kind of experience in life where somebody was telling us something, and, and it sounded good, but we were like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. And then we realized, no, that's, that's not legitimate. What they're trying to sell to me. Well, today we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to look at some things that Jesus says that are pretty amazing. They're going to be things that your first reaction might be to revert to that impulse that works well in other things in life. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But while that might work for door-to-door salesmen, it doesn't work with the words of Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at this And even this passage that we're going to look at this morning, are we going to see some things that it's possible for people to take what Jesus says and abuse these claims that Jesus is making or twist them to kind of suit our own purposes? Yes, I think it's very possible. But that's not my biggest concern for the people right here in this room today. My biggest concern for us is not, oh, I'm I'm concerned that you're just going to run from here and twist these statements for your own purposes. My concern is that, too many of us are going to back too far away from the claims that Jesus is making. So what are these claims? What is Jesus saying? Well, let's take our Bibles and open up to John chapter 14. And today we're just going to look at verses 12 to 14. And as you're turning there, just to remind us of what's going on, it's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And now Judas has left. It's just Jesus and the 11 disciples there. And Jesus... He knows this is kind of a disturbing night for them. He's told them he's leaving them. He's told them somebody is going to betray him, right? So he is trying to now give them peace. As it says in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. And he's trying to prepare them for this time in between his first and second comings, really, when Jesus will not be present and they will be waiting for him to return, a time in which we are all still living. And so now he gets to these important words in verses 12 to 14. Follow along as I read them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. See how those are some amazing claims that Jesus is making? And what we want to do is realize hey, this is Jesus talking to me. And I want to understand and believe and embrace what he is saying. And let's start kind of with the first amazing claim that we see there in verse 12, where he says that whoever believes in him will do the works that he does. And there's more, greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, when we read that and we think at all about Jesus and the works that he is doing, probably one of the first things that's going to pop into our minds is the miraculous signs that Jesus did. And even we think, well, these disciples that go on and in Acts, we see the church doing all kinds of amazing and miraculous things. But I think if you really look at this passage, I don't think miraculous signs is the main thing that Jesus has in mind here. And and just for a couple reasons. One, Jesus makes clear, I'm not just talking to the 12 disciples, the beginning of verse verse 12, whoever believes in me. And even though... You know, a gift, spiritual gifts and sign gifts is one thing, you know, Christians love to still kind of debate about. One thing we should all see from Scripture is clearly even later in the New Testament teaches those gifts are not necessarily for every believer. Certain believers will have this gift, but not necessarily everyone. And Jesus saying, I'm talking about everyone who believes in me. And the bigger reason why I don't think he's mainly talking about miraculous signs here is the fact that Jesus says they are going to do greater works than he will do. Well, even let's look at the book of Acts. Do we see when it comes to miraculous signs, the early church doing greater things than Jesus did? I would argue, no, we don't. We see them doing things kind of on par with what Jesus did. They're doing similar miraculous signs to him. But Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And while we see in the early church people get raised from the dead, are they doing something that is greater than what Jesus is doing? I don't, I don't think so. And so as we think about that, what is it saying? And so what I want to ask is so let's think about the book of Acts and let's consider what is greater What do we see going on that is greater after Jesus has left than what's going on while Jesus is still here? What's greater? And let's just think about it this way. Uh, Number one, how many people are faithfully following Jesus Christ when he dies? Not many, right? I mean, he's talking to 11 guys that by the end of the night are going to have all fled for the hills. And, and And there's a few people standing there faithfully at the foot of the cross, but not many. And even when the book of Acts begins, what do we see? We see 120 people in a room, even most of them still kind of seemingly concerned and in hiding, right? Well, what do we see by the end of the book of Acts? How many people are faithfully following Jesus Christ? Thousands upon thousands of people. Even the day of Pentecost itself, Peter preaches and 3,000 people turn from their sins put their faith in Christ and are baptized right there that day by acts chapter 17 even though they're they're in you know multiple countries away from Israel they're, they're being accused these people have come and they have turned the world upside down right and that's what we see going on in the book of acts and so point number 1 this morning is we think through how do we respond to this I want you to write this down. What you need to do is increase your faith in the God who has changed the world. Increase your faith in the God who has changed the world. Because we actually have a benefit as we look at John 14, 12. That we not only have the promise that Jesus is making, we have 2,000 years of Jesus keeping that promise. We have seen the greater things that he is talking about. We have a record of it in the book of Acts. But we are a living testament to the greater works. Right? We've got more people right here in this room right now than when the early church started. People following Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, you don't get much more to the ends of the earth from Jerusalem than Idaho. Right? Here we are. Jesus' words have come true. So he has said them. He has proved them. The question is, will you believe these words that Jesus is saying? God can do great things. God has done great things. We sing about it. The question is, do you believe it? The power of God is incredible, but how is our faith doing? I mean, consider what was one of Jesus' most common rebukes? of his disciples. Oh you of little what? faith. Often he was calling them out for their failure to believe what he says and he tries to teach them things like he says, "Hey, if you have faith, you're going to say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it's going to happen, right? Everything is going to be possible for someone who believes." And even that, I think what Jesus is saying, he's trying to really get them focused on the mission that he's going to give them. I think that's the focus of the greater works that he is talking about. Because if you notice, we don't have any record in the book of Acts or throughout church history of one of the apostles or a Christian throwing a mountain into the ocean. But what we do have is tons of records of amazing things happen for God's glory, works of revival, people getting saved and putting their faith In Christ. We need to believe that. A couple of the biggest problems that Christians have today. And that Christians have always had. And I think that even the disciples had. And this is why Jesus is telling them this. Is we lack faith. And we lack prayer. And really we're going to see in this passage. He talks about both of those things. And you can't separate the two. They go hand in hand. And even Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18. I'll summarize it for you, but it's maybe a familiar story to some of you. It's a, the story of the persistent widow. And this widow keeps going before this judge, kind of pleading for justice in this case that she has. And she is so persistent that eventually the judge says, man, I don't care about this case. And even kind of like, I'm not even a good guy, but I'm going to give this widow what she's asking for so she'll stop bugging me, right? Right? That's kind of the story that Jesus tells. And he says, that's how you should be praying. He says in verse 6, he says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith? On Earth, and I know I, I like how that's even put. It shows that link between faith and prayer because this is the end of a parable about prayer. And he doesn't say when the Son of Man comes, will he find people praying on Earth? He says, will he find faith on Earth? When, when Jesus comes back and, and to get Christians in Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, we're we're going to meet Jesus in the clouds. Will he find faith in our hearts? We talked a lot recently about this project we're doing called Taking Ground, right, where we would love to not be meeting at a school every Sunday, and we'd love to have a place where we could do something any day of the week, a 24-7 facility for making disciples. And kind of when we launched that and made a video to kind of pitch that idea, right, we talked about, hey, what comes to your mind when you think of Salt Lake City? Obviously, Mormonism. Or what comes to mind when you think of Mecca, Islam? What comes to mind when you think of? The Vatican, Catholicism. Well, what if when people heard about the Treasure Valley, they thought about Jesus? And we start thinking, ah, well, whatever. Really? Our God has said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me is going to do the things that I do. And greater things will he do? Uh, The question is, Jesus is coming back. Will he find faith? Will he find people that will say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. And it's going to happen because they believe. And even as we end this service today with baptisms, it's going to be an incredible opportunity. Are we going to let that stoke the desire in our hearts to look and believe that God can do even more than that? Are we going to look at this church and be like, whoa, I'm shocked we've survived two years, even in the middle of a pandemic? Are we going to say, Of course, because that's what God does. And he is going to do greater things. Where is our faith? And when I ask that, where is our faith? You know what the best way to tell that is going to be? It's not going to be some feeling that you feel right now. It's going to be your prayers. And that's where Jesus goes to in the next two verses. Let's look at them again, verses 13 and 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, obviously, those verses start to raise a lot of questions. What really is Jesus saying here? But let's start with kind of a broad view. Let's just step back for a moment. Let's remember what's going on on this particular night. Jesus is saying he's leaving. And he's preparing his disciples for this time in which we're still living when Jesus will not be physically present. And he's trying to comfort them. He's trying to equip them. And he's basically telling them, Hey, during this time, one of the greatest weapons that you are going to have at your disposal is the power of prayer. And God is going to answer prayer. Prayer is powerful. Use it. I think that's the broad message that Jesus is trying to give across here, and we need to believe it. Point number two this morning, believe that God will answer prayer. And what I want you to see is when we read, especially in the New Testament, about prayer, that is what it's saying. It's saying pray, and God is going to answer And Jesus even states this very clearly in Matthew chapter 7. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount when he starts teaching his disciples about prayer. And as he's teaching them what prayer is all about, he says this. Ask, and it might be given to you. Seek, and maybe you'll find something. The 9 o'clock was a little more responsive. Is that what it says? No. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus is saying, Ask and you will receive. He doesn't say, Ask, I'll think about it. Note the impression that he wants to give his followers is, Ask me and I'll do it. And he uses an illustration. And he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Right? It's like fathers, think of your children. Think of my own children and my Uh, My son, Mac, right now, he's just discovered cinnamon chewing gum, and he wants more of it, and so he knocks on the door of my study. Daddy, can I have a piece of gum? And I have yet to say, well, here's a rock. You can go chew on this, Mac, right? (laughs) Uh, No, I want to give what he is asking for, and I, according to this, I'm an evil guy. If I'm doing that for my kid, how much more is God going to give good gifts to his kids? Or another example is the book of James chapter 5 teaches us about prayer and what a powerful thing that prayer is. It says at the end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then it gives an example. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It's saying, hey, Elijah, he was just a guy. He wasn't Jesus even. He wasn't the Son of God in the flesh. He was just a guy, just like you and me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What is the Bible saying? Hey, prayer is powerful. Elijah, he was a guy just like us, but he prayed fervently God did something. And when you pray, you can expect that God is going to do something. What we need to start, even as we approach these two verses in John 14, by correcting some things that we're often tempted to think, we need to start thinking according to what Jesus says. And we need to think of answered prayer as the rule, not the exception. Often, according to our flesh, we're tempted to get it the other way around. Answered prayer is the exception Rather than the rule. No, everything we see in the New Testament gives us the impression it's the rule, not the exception. And Jesus, obviously, in our passage in John 14, when we start to say, well, what what does this mean? What is he talking about? One thing he repeats in both verses is this prayer is in Jesus' name. We're going to talk about a few things that that means and that we should think about. But the first thing should be, hey, when I pray in Jesus' name, God is going to answer One of the books recommended on the back of your worksheet today is The Power of Prayer by R.A. Torrey, who is the president of the Moody Bible Institute and pastor of the Moody Church there in Chicago. And he talks about this idea of praying in Jesus' name and saying, hey, if I go to this bank and I write a check in my own name, guess how much money they're going to give me? Zero dollars, because that's how much money I have in that bank. So my name is not going to get me anywhere. But when so-and-so from this church says, man, I'm excited about what God is doing through the Moody Bible Institute. Here's $5,000, writes the check, signs their name, and I take that to that bank. Well, I'm gonna get those dollars because it's in his name. And when we pray in Jesus' name, now we now have access to the bank of heaven and all the riches of God because we're going in Jesus' name. Because if it was your name on the check or my name on the check, Guess how many dollars I've got in that bank? Zero. But in the name of Jesus, I've got access to the treasures of heaven. The first thing we should think of when we pray in Jesus' name should be that aspect. I have access to the bank. I can go boldly and ask God, and he is going to answer prayer. And even, I hope we start to see how our mindset needs to change. And when we come across a verse like John 14, 14, and we read, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Our first response should not be, I don't know about that. Our first response would be, yes, of course, and I believe it. That's that's where we need to be. But then when we get into our problems, I think another big problem is we fail to understand what Jesus is saying and the purpose of behind it, right? And there's some natural questions that come up. I, I still remember the first time I encountered this passage. I, I was just a boy and it was family Bible time. And my dad, we were reading through uh, the Gospel of John. So we would just read a little bit every night and, and pray together. And we read this passage. And at the end, I was like, I, I had a question. We lived in the time in San Antonio, Texas, where it never snows until last month, apparently. Um, but I lived there for over a decade, never saw a flake of it. And so I was like, it's, it says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So I asked an honest question for a child at that point in time. I said, Dad, does this mean that if I pray for a white Christmas and say in Jesus' name, it's going to happen? Right? That was the question that I had. And my dad did to explain that that's not what Jesus is talking about. And that's obviously a very simplistic question from a child, but we probably have a lot of questions like that? Uh, Maybe more sophisticated, but wait, if I pray this in Jesus' name, it's going to happen? And then also, maybe that question pops to mind, but when we look at verses like this, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. The other thing that's probably popping into every brain in this room when we read verses like that is you're thinking of a time in your life where there was something you were asking for from God. And let's just go out on a limb and say it was maybe a little bit godlier than a white Christmas, right? Something that you felt like was a good and godly thing that you were asking God for, and it felt to you like the answer was no. And so you're starting to say, man, I don't know if my experience matches up with what Jesus is saying here. And what are we going to do when we encounter that? Well, back at our sending church for several years, the main focus of my ministry is I was the worship pastor. That was what I was focused on, worship in the main service and throughout all the ministries of the church. And one responsibility that came with that specific position was I was also overseeing all of the tech at the church. And it was a, a big church. We had a few thousand people. So there was ministries going on, you know. Throughout the day, every night of the week, uh, stuff going on all the time, all kinds of tech equipment. I think at that time there was one full-time guy devoted to tech. So obviously he can't be at everything. So we've got a lot of volunteers on that campus. A, A lot of people, you know, spinning knobs, turning up dials, right, doing all of these things. And so often we would get questions from those tech volunteers. They would come to me or they would come to the tech director, and they would basically say, it's not working, right? That, that was the gist of what they would say. And what we found was most of the time, maybe nine times out of ten, right, that it wasn't working, the actual problem was user error. It wasn't that the equipment wasn't working, it was that the people that were working the equipment weren't doing what they were supposed to do, right? And so even when we would get, you know, the email or the text saying like, hey, it's not working, we would kind of look at each other with this knowing glance being like, we know what's probably really going on here. And even we would come up with kind of colorful ways to describe some of the common user error. You know, like, oh, the turns out actually the ONOFF discriminator was in the negative <laughs> position, right? <laughs> it wasn't turned on, right? Or... We would say things like, oh, there was, apparently there was an air gap in the system, right? Something was not plugged in, right? So it wasn't that it wasn't working. It wasn't set up or it wasn't being used properly. And we realized one of our biggest jobs is, me as the worship pastor and him as the tech director, we had to be training up these volunteers more so that when they encountered a problem, their first thought wasn't, it's not working. Their first thought was, well, I need to check this and, and this, and I need to make sure it's being used the right way. And I think it's very similar when we come to a passage like this. Because it's so easy for us to look at that and say, it's not working, right? Because I've prayed things that I thought I was praying in Jesus' name and he didn't answer. So it's not working. And instead, maybe with a little bit of humility to say, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't with the promise that Jesus made. Maybe there's something on my end. And to check our own lives and to check Our own hearts. And one thing to make those tech volunteers understand these things, it took training. It took practice. It took experience. And I think for us to really be able to look at these verses and say, yes, it's going to take training. It's going to take practice and doing it and experiencing it. And we will say, yes, I believe what Jesus is saying. So point number three this morning, I want you to practice the power of prayer. Practice the power of prayer. When we come to these verses, I don't want want our reaction to be, I'm going to just kind of lean away and eh, I don't know what these verses are talking about. I want us to lean into these verses this morning. And I hope we all understand in Jesus' name is not just some magic phrase you throw at the end of your prayer to poof, make it happen. That is not what Jesus is talking about. And many times it's, well, we're not really praying in Jesus' name. It's it's user error. And so even as we consider how do we make sense of John 13 and John 14, which seem pretty clear, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Well, as we try to make sense of that and identify maybe some of our user error, let's go to James chapter 4, another great passage on prayer that I think will will help us. And in James chapter 4, it starts really by addressing, there's some kind of division. There's, there's some kind of fighting going on in the church. And he's saying, well, a lot of it's because there's unmet desires. And what do people often do or should they do with desires that aren't met? Prayer. And we see here in verse 2, he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. One of the reasons why you maybe have not experienced John 13 and 14 is simply this. You're not praying. So maybe four sub points to encourage you to practice the power of prayer and to experience what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Number one is pray more. And the simplest explanation for why many of you look at these verses like, I don't have no idea what Jesus is talking about, is simply that you do not pray. Prayer and faith, as we've talked about, they go hand in hand. If you really believe, you will pray. And a lot of us, it's the reason we're not praying even is we don't have faith. We don't have faith in God. We don't really have faith in what he says about the power of prayer. Because let's all be honest, quality, undistracted time in prayer with God is not easy. Our, our flesh kind of fights against that. If you have children, they fight against that, right? We all have devices in our pockets or on our wrists or on our tables that buzz and fight against that. It's going to take effort. To spend time alone with God, pouring out your heart in prayer. Following that pattern of Jesus. You're not going to put in that effort to focus and pray if you don't believe it's going to make a difference. We need to believe that what Jesus says repeatedly, what the rest of the New Testament says, that prayer makes a difference. And if we look at the example of Jesus, he shows us that. And he fought for that time, right? We see him Early in the morning, while it's still dark, rising up to spend time alone in a secret place with his father. We see him even on this same night that we're looking at in John. We see him praying earnestly while his disciples are snoozing. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to pray when other people are sleeping? And what's going to motivate you to do that? Because you believe that that will make a difference. That God listens to prayer. And so I'm going to fight for that time. James goes on. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. But then he goes on in verse 3 to say, you ask. So you are praying and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Right? You ask wrongly. The second subpoint there I want you to write down is pray for the right things. And this is where we should start thinking a little bit more about what does it mean to actually pray in Jesus' name. Because again, to be clear, it's not just, hey, here's three magic words to add to the end of your prayer. No, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And let's use another financial analogy, right? Even to think about a bank or somebody signing something. Many of us, right, at some point, you're going to have to buy something for your job right you're going to have to spend money for something related to your job, maybe you have a work credit card that that you use to purchase work related things, or maybe you spend your own uh, money on something, and your work reimburses you for that, right? but whatever that process might look for you, right there's some things involved uh, you're going to have to have some accountability in that process. You, You're, in some sense, you might say, hey, hey, anything you need, you're going to get reimbursed for. But then there's going to be some check. Well, what are we actually talking about? And somebody, usually, there's going to be somebody else at your work that's going to have to look at what you bought, right? You're going to have to turn in an expense report. Someone else is going to have to put their name on it to verify, yes, this is what they should be spending money on. And, you know, for me, if I turn in an expense report and the guy's looking at it and it says, uh, A box of golf balls? What's what's going on there? And they're going to say, I I hope that was a mistake and that that was not an intentional thing, right? Because that is not what we're doing here. That's not what this is about. And so as we think even about our prayers and really praying in Jesus' name, kind of use that picture. As you think of the things that you're praying for, are they things that Jesus could look at, right? Imagine Jesus is the CFO of your prayer life, right? And he's looking at the expense report. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Boom, I'm putting my name on that. This is what you should be praying for. Or is he looking at it being like, What's this? And what's this? Like, why are we praying for these things? We want to pray, ultimately, we want to pray for what Jesus would pray for. That's what we should be aiming for. And I don't think that's something that we always do well. Even I remember going to prayer meetings as a kid. I was a pastor's kid. So if the church doors were open, I was there, not by choice. That's just the way it was, right? So I'd get dragged to these poorly attended prayer meetings every other week. And to be honest, lots of the times the vibe was, I feel like we're spending more time for God to keep believers out of heaven than we were praying for unbelievers to get saved and go to heaven, right? We're praying for everybody's sick relative, right? Which, let me be clear, that's not a bad thing to do. But it seems like that's all that we were focused on. We're praying for these believing people, basically, oh, we want them around for longer. Instead of looking at a lost world around us and saying, God, do something. Let your kingdom come. We need to evaluate our own prayers and say, are we really praying for the things that God wants me to pray for? How much of our prayer life is, God, help me to get this job. God, help me to help us to get this house. Well, how do you know if that's what Jesus would want you to pray for? How can you know that you are praying what Jesus would pray for? Well, let's start with how Jesus taught us to pray. Because the disciples, they had a front row seat to the prayer life of Jesus. And they could see, well, when Jesus asked for something, it happens. And so they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he responded by teaching them this prayer that probably many people in this room could recite by heart. What we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is that what your prayers sound like? Notice how the first half, there's there's six requests in that prayer, and the first half of them have nothing to do with you. It's about God, his name being honored, his kingdom advancing, his will being done. Are those the things that are really at the top of your prayer list? And even notice when it gets to our needs, it's not, you know, these big, big things. It's just give us this day our daily bread. And notice it's not even give give me my daily bread. It's even then in the plural thinking about the other people around us. The actual reality for many of us, if we're honest to admit it, is we're pretty selfish in our prayers. And that's probably why when we look at John 14, 13, and 14, we're like, I don't know what that's talking about. Because we're not really praying in Jesus' name. We, the Lord's Prayer is a good place to start. But think about other passages. And this is what I would encourage you. If you're like, I haven't experienced really the power of these verses, well, let's start praying maybe for different things. And I don't think it's wrong if at times in our prayer life we're praying for something and we're saying, God, if this is your will. I don't think it's wrong to do that. I think we even kind of see Jesus do that in the garden, right? But if that's all of our prayer life, I don't think we're doing it quite quite right. We need more things in our prayer life where we're not going to God and saying, God, if this is your will, do this. We need more things where we're going to God and saying, God, because I know this is your will, do it. Do what you've said you're going to do in Jesus' name. Consider verses like this, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. You got a tough situation in your life this week. You know what you need to do? You need to go to God and ask for wisdom. And what kind of attitude should you do that with? With faith. Go into God saying, God, this is your will. You tell me to ask you for this right here, God. Because it's your will, God, I'm calling on you to do what you've said you're going to do. That is praying in Jesus' name. Or consider Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You find yourself in need this week? You can go to God and say, God, you say right here, Whenever I'm in need, I can come to you and find grace and mercy. God, I believe what you said. I have faith in what you promised. Would you help me? Would you give me grace and mercy right now? Start to think about that. Because what, what do we usually do when we find ourselves in need? Another way to basically describe in need, we might use the term a trial. What do we normally do when a trial comes into our life? We go to God and basically say, God, take the trial away in Jesus' name. And then we're like, well, why didn't that work? Well, because that's not how Jesus told us to pray. In fact, earlier in James 1, before it tells you to ask for wisdom, it says, No, count it all joy when you experience trials. God is saying, Trials is one of my favorite tools to use to make you more like Jesus Christ. And so when we go say, God, take away the trial, we're probably actually going against the will of God. He wants us to come and say, God, I'm in a trial. I need wisdom, I need grace. I need mercy, and I need in this trial to become more like Jesus Christ. God, would you do that for me? That is how more of our prayers need to be. Not God, if it's your will, but more God, because I know this is your will. And he hasn't left us shooting blindly, taking shots in the dark to figure out what that is. He has told us. We need to be asking more, what would Jesus pray for? And I think the more and more we lean on what God clearly tells us to pray for in his word, and the more mature we come, and the more we walk in step with the spirit, the more we'll experience even God laying things on our heart to pray for that aren't about us. And really that's kind of the next thing is it it shouldn't be about us. It goes on in James 4 to say you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Prayer shouldn't be about us. It should be about God in his glory. Third kind of practical point there on practicing the power of prayer. Pray with the right goals. Pray with the right goals. It should not be about us. It should not be just about our comfort. Even again in John 14 as he says this, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That should be the why behind our prayers. That God may be glorified prayer is not something that Walt Disney created this is not wishing upon a star so that all your dreams may come true no the first thing Jesus says to pray is hallowed be your name that the the driving focus of our prayers is God I want to see you be glorified and if we're looking at Jesus as the example of somebody that man when they prayed it happened look his prayers are obsessed with the glory of God is that what your prayers are all about? And that's where sometimes we might even be praying for something that feels good and godly, maybe even the salvation of another person. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're praying for that person and it's more about us because I personally would like to see that person saved. And it's not even about God. I want to see you glorified. I want to see you get the honor that is due your name. Our prayer it needs to be more on the right goals. And then finally, when you continue in in James, I mean, he has some strong words for them about spending their prayers on their own passions. In verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Try saying that to somebody this afternoon without getting punched in the face, right? That's, That's a strong phrase. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The fourth thing there, as we wrap up, pray with a right heart. Pray with a right heart. Too many of us, we're out there trying to to cozy up with the world and be all cool with what's going on and then say, Oh, hey God, will you give me this? And that's when God is like, you adulterous people. how, How can you try to be my enemy and then come and ask me? for something. Even we'll get to it next week, but in John 14, the very next verse is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that when we are just living our lives, going through our week, just disregarding God, disobeying God, and oh yeah, by the way, God, can I have this please? Right? That's not praying in Jesus' name. When we try to live outside of his will and and dishonor his name, and then come and try to use his name to get What we want. I genuinely believe if you, in faith, believe what Jesus is saying. Believe that God will do greater things. And you pray more. And you start praying more for the right things. And with the right goals. And with the right heart. We're going to start looking at passages like John 14 and say, oh yeah, I believe that. And I experience that on a consistent basis. Does this answer every question we have about this passage or about prayer? No. I mean, Romans 8 tells us we need a helper because we don't know what to pray for. And that's why we've got the Spirit praying for us. And even the Apostle Paul, he didn't seem to have this all figured out. 2 Corinthians 12, it talks about he's repeatedly praying that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. And God says, no, I've actually got something different. But what I want us to do is really to lean in more to what we see here in John 14. Let me just read those last two verses again. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When we look at statements like that, I really think we've got two choices. And one route is to just, take these and qualify them so much that we bring what Jesus says down to the level of our experience. Or, I think the other choice we have is to look at Jesus' promises, believe them, and prayerfully seek to raise our experience to the level of the promises of Jesus Christ. And while we might not have all the answers to all of our questions about prayer today, I hope that's the direction that we're going to head. Because Jesus points out here two of the biggest problems that Christians are going to have, that the church is going to have, and that is the lack of faith and the lack of prayer. And we need those things so very much. Another book that's on the back of your worksheet is uh, it's works on prayer by E.M. Bounds. And, and I'd encourage you to get that book. It might be intimidating. It's a pretty thick book, but it's not even one you need to just sit down and read through from cover to cover. Whenever you feel like Uh, your prayer life is starting to get a little sluggish, just pull that book off the shelf. Read one of the short chapters and it will be like pouring gasoline on the fire of your faith and your prayers, right? I even did that this morning, pulled it off the shelf, read a chapter, preparing to preach this sermon on faith and prayer and how we need more of each of those things. And I came across this quote. He says, if we could only reproduce a race of saints with mighty faith and wonderful praying, what a glorious period of achievements would begin for the church and the world. The church does not need the intellectually great. The times do not demand wealthy men. It is not people of great social influence that is required. Above everybody and everything else, the church and the whole wide world of humanity need men of faith and mighty prayer. May it be so at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Church Valley. Let's pray together. God, we even just want to begin by confessing that as we look at passages like this, Lord, there is certainly no problem. There is no error in the promises of Jesus. Your promises are good, they are right, they are true. But God, we confess that there often is a problem with our experience. God, that often we do lack faith. Often, God, our prayer life is non-existent. Lord, and even when we do pray, God, it's really more about us than it is about you. And we're praying for the wrong things in the wrong ways. So God, we pray that you would transform us. God, I pray that you would raise our experience to the level of these statements that Jesus makes. God, that we would see you do greater things, that we would experience asking you in your name and seeing you do what we ask, God. So I pray that you would work in us, that you would fill this church with people full of faith and full of prayer, God, people that are really living in the name of Jesus Christ, and that we would see you do more with that than we could ask, more than we could imagine, and that you would do it for the glory of of your name. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.